I was very impressed by both of them. It was like Mauricio and Eric. Eric uh, came to see my show, uh -huh. and he was like, "Oh my God! I never like the entire like because in my performance, I'm very close to people, uh -huh. and I had Eric like so close. It was so beautiful. I think it was the person that liked the person that you know. Mm -hmm. It was really also push giving me so much, mm -hmm. and I also like his work. Like and Mauricio, it was. I've been performing not so often in queer festivals, but I think this festival was a very special one for me. I mm. really liked it. I thought I had the impression that it brought the community together mm. and it, they curated quite very special people. And also the thing with the queer base, it was really like, it was really like they, this show oh, that there was some, I don't know, it's, it doesn't matter, it's not like the form, it's, the dance is perfect, but it, the energy it had, mm -hmm. I was really touched. I don't know, I was touched about the festival. Probably it's because I'm working in contexts that are always like so, com you know, it's not, uh, it, of course, everything we do is political. Right. But I'm mostly I'm trying to survive and sell my art and, and you're in, in a very intellectual culture where you feel a bit like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and to perform in this other place where people are so giving so much mm -hmm. and being critical. And I like what Maricia says about you know about not being scared of going into conflict and that kisses arts like conflict I, each of them had something to tell that was inspiring for me and I also to see uh, what people who went to the to the festival mm -hmm. also. Was nice okay let's yeah, start. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no I was thinking because I was very blessed <laughs> so so what is your name uh, my name is Vesa Fernandez Vesa Fernandez Vesa Fernandez <laughs> Because I'm from the north, we talk like this. Wow. <laughs> it's really ugly. It's our dialect. Y'all really yeah. do that lisp. That's the it. lisp. <laughs> the Actually, Vesa, I use it here because uh, my name, as my parents pronounce it, is Vesa, but it's no, it's not. It's easier, Vesa. <laughs> so I'm now Vesa. And where are you from? I'm from Spain, mm -hmm. but my mother is Austrian, mm -hmm. and I grew up in Spain, mm -hmm. and. But I live in Austria, I came back, mm -hmm. uh, I think I came 10 years ago mm -hmm. to Graz. That's a little the city. heart of Austria. The heart of Austria, <laughs> <laughs> where my grandmother was living. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I didn't want to live at home. And in Spain at that time I was, and I think now it was very difficult to get like a university scholarship. Mm. So I was first in Scotland, but it was I didn't get any grant, so I couldn't stay there, and I didn't want to go back home. So I called my Austrian grandmother, who is an amazing woman. She's really she's really special, and I moved to her place. And I wanted to stay one year, and I stayed till now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. And now you're in Vienna. Now I'm in Vienna. So let's talk a little bit. You you talked already a little bit about the the queer festival. Was this mm -hmm. your first queer festival that you did? No, I've been in, in in little queer festivals in Graz. Mm -hmm. One is called Queerograd. I've been also performing in the um, and I also choreographed the Anti Valentine Times Ball this oh, year. Oh yeah, that was great. Yes, I made and uh, what, and I was also no, I think that was mm, no, I don't have so much. Uh, experience in queer festivals it's my th three experiences <laughs> three experiences in queer festivals and what what would you say if someone came from a place where they were completely 
unfamiliar with like queer culture and Vienna. Like, how would you describe that? For people that uh, are, that are also not part of the queer community, mm -hmm. I would describe it for them. Yeah, a place that should be always a safe space, so you have to be. Mm -hmm. I think it, that's. Because, um, I think it's a space where norms are also norms are put into question. So we you will see things that mm -hmm. are not normal. I think or. Not normal in the <laughs> mainstream, <laughs> mainstream sense. Of sense of, and I think there will be a lot of colors and party, <laughs> like yeah, and and a lot of I don't know. And so you talk about the safe space, yeah. and but your work deals with a lot of conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Internal conflict, um, and and we were just talking about Mauricio talking about how people tend to be afraid of conflict and not, not willing to go all in and so it, it sort of takes away this um, living in the present, spontaneity, authenticity element mm -hmm. of when you're trying to do participatory art. Like how do you reconcile wanting a safe space, first of all what does that mean, right? Yeah. And this embracing of conflict. I think that they are both a bit they sound like a paradox mm -hmm. <laughs> like because a safe space it, like it's a space you feel at home you think i can do that and i'm i'm going to act in a way that i don't harm anyone or i that everyone has a space but at the same time to have a conflict is it shakes it but i think for ex um i think that they complement each other because if you want to enter a conflict like a conflict between yourself or a conflict with a topic or show different perspectives or go beyond this is only possible in a space where you will where the um, where where um, how do you, how do you call it where you would you would not be so judged you know you, the peop, you have an audience that don't shut you know that shut that are open to see the so to see through and I think also that for me, a safe space is also a place that allows a lot of difference and contradiction because I think we were talking about speaking English and the power of speaking good English or the power of speaking good German or the power of have, have, having a discourse. I think that we all sometimes say the same but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we have to fight for a space where, where we learn how to articulate and we are always negotiating how to talk and how to express ourselves but there can be different ways of doing so. So I think they complement each other. And I think when you have different ways of doing until you understand each other, this shakes a bit. And yeah, and in my work, I don't know. I don't know if I always manage because sometimes people say, oh, it's so cute. It's very sweet because I work a lot. It's very, it's very holy, very like, but uh, yeah, I, I try, I don't know. I have this idea, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, I have this theory that if you put things that don't belong so well together, like for example, you put the Virgin Mary, like the idea of a sculpture of the Virgin Mary, and you put like uh, latex gloves that look like, you know, like you like a pedese, you know, and then you put uh, music that says something else. That by putting these things together, the conflict is there and things expand a bit. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But of course, I, I in the work because of the safe space, 
because in the work I do I get very close because it's very uh, that's what I'm interested in and imagine that if you're very close to people if something would happen to you or so you know that's also important I think that yeah when you're sitting so, so close there, there half naked yeah yeah there needs to be some level of trust in your audience exactly and they have to trust me because I got very, I go very close to them too yeah, <laughs> they talk about my work. Yeah, the, um, but yeah, ahead. no. It's, <laughs> but uh, what do you want to know about the work in general? What I do? Yeah, yeah. could you describe your piece at the career festival? Uh, the other uh, piece. Okay, in this piece, I am. I am on a. Yeah, on a sheet. Like, it's not a sheet. How do you say that in English? Yeah, um, like a duvet. Mm-hmm. It's white and it looks like it looks like a different things. And um, I am eating my hand. Mm. And what I'm doing is like I'm going very close to the audience. So I'm like working a lot with very like what the eyes do. So I'm all the time being in conflict between how this like what does with me that I'm eating myself. Mm-hmm and I'm giving it to the audience really inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm like giving and they're taking me and it's like this uh, between. So, and the movements I have, it reminds a bit to a statue, like it could be a saint. And it's called Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. And it's about this desire of, it's a, it's a lot of, about a lot of things, but it, it's about like this, this way that I can only pursue my passion of becoming the monster, the hungry creature that that is also sensual and connected to also it's like magic. Like I'm floating like a magical world, but but this is only possible because people are looking at me. The intensity, like the intensity, is only possible because we are communicating with each other, but without words. So it's very intense for some people because I'm really speed. Like it has something. It's very sensual. It's like and sensual exchange but it's also a bit disgusting because I transform into a creature but but this creature can only transform because they are looking at me and this creature only exists because they are looking at me so it's like yeah that's what I'm doing in this solo but I'm and I'm going to keep on working on that and making a piece for with six dancers and yeah <laughs> I'm on the floor and people are sitting on the floor and yeah, and if they talk because some get very nervous, mm-hmm. they, I, yeah, I calm them down. And yourself even mm-hmm. to like push through your fear and push through uh, like maybe even your physical limitations. It was a lot for you to do this piece. And so you're coaching other people as well. Yeah. And so that also requires a lot of trust. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And you see that people are really like, of course, not everyone likes so likes to be so close of something so intense mm-hmm. or some people get nervous and start laughing or start chatting because it's too much intimacy so i also try to find ways that this is like what i'm devol- developing in my practice how to calm them down you know mm-hmm. how to also that i also keep the can go so close to the people that can really bear it and if someone talks and it because when people talk so much it disturbs also the audience mm-hmm. And I don't know this space. It just really interests me. This space is mm-hmm. like to create this space where okay, I want to. Yeah, one of one of the audience in the festival couldn't stop talking, and it was like, like <laughs> trying to calm, you know. 
trying to calm the person down and other people wanted me so close so I asked them to come very closer and but, yeah <laughs> so there's there's this um, sort of introduction of this like basic uh, urge that mm -hmm. we as all humans have right which is hunger yeah and then it's almost like making that like a base desire um, that's done a lot also with sex right exactly this, you know it's a, it's a common desire but then it's like turned into this base desire and then though the fact that you're having those base desires are somehow seen as almost like animalistic and creature like yeah and of course this leads me with my own upbringing to this idea of this like religious iconography right Mm. And you also are inspired by a lot of religious, yeah. religious iconography. Can you talk about that? Yes, I'm inspired a lot by about um, Catholicism, like mystic Catholicism, and I try to. It's very, it's very new, but it's I, I'm trying to find how to transform a little bit what it means, but also because it's so ingrained in my biography in our also in Austria, it's a very Catholic country, but also in Spain. And, my education was very Catholic and the, the role of this desire is very weird because it's condemned and also as a woman also you cannot be desirable or you cannot have or when you have if you have hunger it's a hunger towards faith towards God and that's mm -hmm. why I'm working now with the poems of a Spanish writer and saint called Santa Teresa de Jesus because her approach to faith is very passionately, but it's, a, it's almost orgiastic and very empowering actually, it's very ecstatic, but it's still, it's a only, this is only possible because, at that, because it's a love towards God. Mm. And I, I think that there's something very empower, empowering and important about passions, about, and I think that women, we are not, so often allowed to represent ourselves as that we and when when we are we are super objectified so that's mm -hmm. why i guess i'm looking for the monster you know i always put something that makes it always disgusting because this gas can also be beautiful you know? mm -hmm. i don't we don't need to be clean but that it's not only an object of desire yeah and that's what i i was thinking but it's a difficult yeah it's a difficult topic also, yeah. Now that I'm choosing the cast for the new piece, it's really, it, it, this is also, uh, who do you choose while working? It's also quite a pol political statement that I wasn't are so you, aware are you before. Are choosing only women or is it? Yeah, usually I am, I'm choosing, I was thinking in the beginning to choose, who, uh, yeah, I'm choosing women and queer people, gen gender queer and yeah, it's difficult. I, I really, and I, I had in mind a man who is actually a, not a queer person, but but who I thought that maybe it's interesting to have. In, I like a context, you know, where you have maybe queer people, no queer people. Then I don't know. I was thinking, do the people that are in this group um, need to be Catholic? Do they all need to be professional dancers? I love each other. You can eat at any time. <laughs> no, but it's difficult. It's difficult also mm -hmm. sometimes because I, yeah, what kind of, yeah, sometimes I think, and it's also me as a, I don't know, 
do then all the nuns need it this sounds maybe weird but do all the nuns needs to be white if i have a person of color in the cast what does it mean me as a white choreographer having a nun you know but because also the all the um, you know all the history of the missions mm -hmm. and Santa Teresa was also believing in missions and only and this is also edgy and I really I'm not sure yet how to approach this entire world this is what I'm thinking now how mm -hmm. to or how to be very aware and yeah I mean I think, yeah. I, I, I think that one of the things that uh, Maurice and I were talking about is not only when, when you have radical queer theory and you as an artist have kind of a commitment to this practice of questioning mm. everything that you are then also not exempt from that everything you're also like looking at your own practice and your own positioning mm -hmm. and then questioning that mm. and also questioning your own sort of access to power and what does that mean in relationship to the other people that you're working with exactly that's why I often like working with people that are a bit older than I am I guess I, I to break balance it, to it yeah I always I like two of the the two people I've asked till now they're in the sixties. Okay. And then and also I asked Denis Palmieri who is he's a bit old he's like a bit older than I am. I usually work with people that are older but but it's like yeah. And I like I like working with people also sometimes that are very good at something, that they are very physical and mm -hmm. they're very good at something but they are not trained dancers. Mm. Because but I mix. I like that they are different people. But every piece has its. I have to think a lot before. Like, it's a, it's also a struggle and with it's, myself. It's even, yeah. in, it's even in nuggets, right? It's yeah. even in these like little, somewhat what we think are deracialized or decontextualized mm. moments. So we think of desire, for example, as something like really pure, mm. right? And every human being feels it, right? But in um, in feminist movements. Uh, uh, white feminists have, <coughs> have long, it's fine, have long sought to like reclaim desire as this thing that they're allowed to feel as, um, as something that they can also have access to even though they're women, mm -hmm. right? Um, whereas women of color, not that they're not also trying to reclaim that desire, but this level of being seen as these creatures of only desire was also a way that mm -hmm. we were sort of systematically dehumanized, right? Yeah, definitely. So this kind of like coming into this animalistic thing has a very different context if one is of color than mm -hmm. if one is, is a white woman, right? That's for, true. For, for a white woman, it could be like embracing this like, um, these like base feelings for yourself. And for me, it's almost like, um, it would just have a different context. I mean, it depends on what that artist was trying to do with it, of course. Yeah. But the context would be different given the history of how my body was viewed, right? So how do you... Um, yeah, I mean, like, like, what are the reactions, some of the reactions that, that you get from folk? Yeah, usually... Yeah. But they never see me as... See, but now you see... When you are talking, <laughs> they never see me as a beast or an animal, although mm -hmm. I refer now to it. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, no? No, they, they, mm. see, they see the saint, mm. they see, oh, but sometimes <laughs> it's disturbing, but <laughs> right. they see the, you know, right, right, you right. know it's, it has to do a lot of how, the tradition of how to look at someone, right, you know? Right. So, it w yeah, now that you're, yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. And then there's also like your body. I mean, like, I'm always like absolutely fascinated by dancers and mm -hmm. uh, other movement artists because 
their body becomes part of this project, right? And all mm -hmm. of the things that their body now uh, carry, right? Because if, if you and I walk on the street, we're doing performance art, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the way that people now engage with us and how, and how that looks, that's this level of performance art. And now if you and I go on a stage, that, that, that context isn't lost on the audience, right? Like mm. they're still the same people that were engaging us on the street. It is, yeah, with all of the ideas. But going about the white feminist and the, and this idea of desire, and also a feminist, uh, like Audrey Lord, for example, who I adore. I discovered her super late, but I really adore. And the way she approaches passion, like erotics, because mm -hmm. it's it's empowering, but it's also a move of resistance. It's mm -hmm. really it has movement, you know. Because one thing is gaining the, the sensuality, <laughs> and the other thing is like no, if you this are if you are fulfilled in in your erotic world, then you will realize that the rest of the things you are living, if they are not full of passion, like yeah. the same fulfillment. It, so it's much more, you know. It, 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 it you see that to break through the struggle, yeah, it's much yeah. more like active. It's like spreading. Uh -huh. Like you will have passion, and I I will yeah. Yeah, and I really like this idea. It's very yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely lovely, and I'm totally gonna um, stop the interview here and <laughs> play some Audrey Lord because I have the, <laughs> I have the recording of her giving that lecture, oh, which is amazing. It's an amazing. Um, it's such a lovely lecture. the The idea that um, a fulfill you know fulfilling ecstasy mm. can make it so that we have now another standard, another top that the mundane is no longer sort of our standard. Mm. Um, of course, it's very, very threatening. Yeah, and it is. What, what, what have you found to be dangerous about desire? Yeah, I think that you get a, a little bit punished from society. I think that desire, you know, if you, you, because you get a bit alienated. I think some, there are desires that are like punished in society. And if you're so desire driven, I don't yeah, yeah. People that, if, if you desire and passionate, you're loud, no? And then, mm. and I don't think that still our worlds are not for loud people. Like they silence you. Well, of not course, in Austria. In Austria. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not in Austria. It's not a place for loud people. No, it's not a place for a lot of people. And also, the, it's very everything is taken very seriously here. I have the impression that it's either one thing or the other. And uh, yeah, and it's a conservative country still. Like it has its open-mindedness, but it has also like I don't know. But it's better because it's a rich country. I think Austria is very rich. Mm -hmm. People can pursue also their passions very much mm -hmm. because, for example, in other countries, people have to do things because they have to work for the. You know, they have to, for example, step. Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe their their reasons for life are a little bit different. And I realize that in Austria, people can still do whatever they want. And this is also, yeah, we forget about it sometimes. What What drove you to hunger? Uh, hunger. Yeah, I think. Um, I think it's a personal story with it because I was, um, how can I explain it? For me, uh, hunger, I use it because hunger has also very negative connotations, you know. For example, in society, this that you have 
like um, you like uh, now society how it is capitalist you have to be um, hunger for more and always getting better and always uh, working and, and making the better version of yourself and this is also a kind of hunger or there is all the problem of um, hungering because of uh, body issues or hunger here in a country where you have so much opulence and so much of everything there is no hunger like but I use hunger more in this erotic power like erotic and passionate and I think um, also hunger for for wanting to find more in this and and I, I it drove me because yeah because I had the impression that that I couldn't that I couldn't leave always my passions as I wanted for example my queerness was a problem mm. or know the older I get although I'm still very young but uh, the older I get the, the most more most I'm connected with this part of myself and I think it's beautiful I'm this it's such a um, way of embodying knowledge also mm-hmm. and I think it yeah <laughs> that is uh, and I guess Audrey Lord's speech and like essay about that really moved me this really moved me yeah it moved me too my I friend listen, my I listen to it at least once a week just so you and know it, I think it's one of my biggest inspirations when yeah. I saw when I my friend was working on it and and she I she used it in a performance and then I read mm-hmm. the article and I read more text and I was like it I think this was a, a big inspiration mm-hmm to choose hunger and to call it hunger also although they, she would call it in a different way but mm-hmm. so this feature is called the, the power of the erotic and in that speech she like um, volleys off of um, other other feminist lectures and other feminist thoughts how do you play with other artists in your work and the things uh-huh. that they bring to the table I think I I um, then hmm, how I play. I guess I I, I um, assimilate like I take the way they express something more more the image, mm. and then I rather I rewrite it in my own words like I, I like I take it and then as a, as an inspiration and then from it maybe I write something or I um, see an image. Which I, uh, it's very funny because I translate images a lot with states, mm. like I re- like presence, presence, like ways of developing states, and I think that's the way I translate it. I now I, I sorry I'm thinking while speaking, but for sure I translate it through states. For example, I read this, and I think, oh, how can I connect with empower, like feeling a body with energy and a space with energy through something that can be erotic and then I find one action or different ways of, of, of generate a presence through, um, uh, for example, through, um, how is my, through how is my body after running for a long time or how is my body after chewing a lot of things or how is our body when we are looking at each other or how is our body when we have been coexisting with each other, not talking and being with eyes closed and touching, like these different ways of sensing and I translate, I think, other artists and other ideas like that. <laughs> I think it's, oh yeah, that's it. And sometimes because I also write poetry, with poetry I steal a bit. <laughs> like I, I like reading and then I take words mm. and, and 
I have like my diary and, and I then put words together. But then they become something else. Yeah. When, when I first um, heard the title of your piece, yes. I thought it would be um, um, some, somehow concerned with this like pressure that we have as women around uh, eating and not eating so sort of you know yeah. like that you know because we're supposed to have this like size one size four body mm. um, this idea that we're not supposed to eat and therefore like generally all women <laughs> from 12 up uh, even girls you know are on a diet at any given point mm. right so uh, did you did you think a bit about that as well? Or? Yes, I thought also. I thought because I think hunger, like this, hunger can connote so many different things. But I thought this connotation is also there, you know, because also this hungering, like being perfect, this also makes you very modern. Is what what we all do. We see it as role models. So I put it like one connotation that is also there on top of that. So mm -hmm. all the layers of what I can signify when doing that. This solo that was with 11 people, uh, uh, 11, it was like eight, it's a theater of the senses in a way. And in while doing it, one of the topics was hunger. And I should have never, you cannot imagine how the dancers and the performers reacted to it. It was horrible. Mm. Like one of the perform, like just by putting the topic hunger and trying to go into it, uh, one person got a vertigo mm. people started crying it was like and I was like okay I'm taking it out it's something I can only do myself on my own like I cannot have the responsibility of having 11 people talking about hunger and it's crazy that in in, in a place where we live here where we have to eat you know mm -hmm. where we we have always something to eat where we are beautiful young like you know everything we have everything and still every teenager and almost every person has issues with food and it's horrible because this you see how society you know how how important how you look like mm -hmm. uh, is and how people struggle and also i think also that people that um, yeah non like for example non-binary people sometimes I don't know, the issue of the body, how they feel and how they look and how people see them. Mm -hmm. It's very connected also some, yeah, with how much they eat. And so it was horrible. I, it was, just taking this moment, I really got shocked. I felt so guilty. Uh -huh. how, how, do you, how do you try to um, mediate or manage the emotional responses of so many people? Oh, this was really difficult. Because you cannot be like, oh, because in the beginning I was like super like, like I'm sorry. And this, it makes it even worse. Okay. Because then you make it about your guilt a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit like, I'm sorry. No, no. And then what we did, because with this hunger day, I was really in shock. So I didn't know what to say. So, so I said, okay, we're not going to work on it. I'm sorry. Like this, I, I apologize because I saw what happened. And then from that moment on, one of the, uh, we one of the persons of the group uh, suggested that we talk about how we want to be treated when we cry. Mm. And with this, we started talking, you know, we started mm -hmm. finding out ways of reaching out. For example, 
if I uh, or a, an, if a person gets really upset because the work is very emotional. I was talking. I work with presences, and this it's very. You yeah, have to be very careful. So the best thing is to ask. Always ask. What do you need when you need that? Mm -hmm. And maybe you need to leave the person alone for a little bit. Maybe some people need a sorry, you know, mm -hmm. but not. A, maybe some people need, a, yeah, a hug, you know. And mm -hmm. Or, but I think that the best way of caring for other people is if you see that something is not working, not doing it again. Mm -hmm. Like never go this road of, of, you know, because of course there is something interesting. Every it's to stop so when yeah, you feel it. You stop but, it. But how does that go? Yeah, sort of like against this kind of like artistic discourse around I have to push people I have to make things as uncomfortable as possible I need to take you into these spaces of emotional rawness so to speak in order to get to the truth of who you are um, how, how does this you, do, do you know what I mean and I'm getting yeah. back to this sort of beginning question that I asked about this side paradox of uh, you call the paradox between yeah. safe space and conflict yeah. how does one then go deeper if you're willing to stop when people cry because i think that their conflict <laughs> that conflict is not equal pain and i think when you work with other people you have a great responsibility and you cannot go people through pain i don't think that always pain like if you do it yourself is yourself mm -hmm. it doesn't matter but you you don't have i don't think that anyone has the power to bring push someone that is going into a path that will not bring anything for this person it's mm. I think it's and of course it's painful I think as a choreographer as a theater director uh, to let things go images or like like things go but I think it's really I think conflict doesn't equal that the, yeah I think when things are too painful or when things I think uh, yeah then then you become you get so much power also because you are pushing a person to get a road and, and something else is like a di discussion you know mm -hmm. that we enter a dialogue you know that someone a dancer says oh Betha what you're doing here I think this doesn't and then we enter a conversation but when you can notice when something is painful and when something is like a conversation I cannot yeah but I think it has a lot to do with power relationship with because it's a lot of power to push up it's not fair I think also I think it's not productive and I think also that um, to be uh, really good on stage, I think that the, the people have to really relate to the material. How can you relate to a material that is giving you that, that, that is really so now, now, now yeah. I'm, I'm thinking because I am not a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, so for a lot of people, the, no. the image the image of, of, of dancing is very black swan, mm -hmm. right? It's very, this image of pain and denial, self-physician, yeah, yeah. Self yeah. renouncing of the self. Yes. This kind of sacrificing to this like greater thing called art or dance or ballet, or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, people do whatever's necessary. They've got bloody feet, they dance. They're hungry, they dance. They've got you know a broken rib they dance and 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 these are actually coming from real stories of things that da dancers have endured you know dancers mm. have danced are probably one of the most um hardcore physical entertainers that i know 
and the training is so hard and the crazy thing you say we are all a bit paint people like i don't know how is yeah. it for you because you are uh, do you also have the thing that you're never good enough Absolutely. this is the first thing you learn Absolutely. because it's so weird to us so you always have to think you're doing it wrong and yeah, it's the, or I was with my friend now in a residency and we, I realized that we are always so frustrated like, like and it's ve we are very severe with ourselves and I think yeah I think it's part of our profession but I think dance in its origins dance is things for celebrating yeah, for it's when I dance with, I don't know, when I go to my village and it's in Spain, northern Spain, and it's the party, you celebrate and no one is looking at the form, but in the moment ballet came, in the moment dance was made an art form, like an art for art, in the 17th century, 60s, I think, 17th. That's the moment when you are trying to write down what it is, and you're going trying to, what steps it is, and you try to formalize it, and you try to give a training, and it has, and. And I think it, the dance is still not free from all this training, like the strict ballet teachers that, that told you that told you to do things and not explain you how. And then with contemporary dance and modern dance, it got a bit more modern, like it's more political. And, and the methods, the methods are now very good. Like they have good, good, good pedagogy. Like I wish I would have been trained like you can train now, because of course. We know that not only through imitation, but they are like now very young dancers. And mostly in the States, I heard my friend told me that in New York, she used to go to ballet school and she saw 15 year old girls doing like six periods like this. And she said, it's the American method. That's so good. No, you know, the American methods, but it's, like, it's getting, I don't I, I think there are good methods everywhere. And also for contemporary dance, they are, but it's still so, uh, it's, it's still always a, a fight with imperfection. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but this is why it's really yeah. it's really interesting for me that you as a dancer decided to focus um, or be inspired by um, uh, this 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 um, Catholic figure mm. because for me um, dance is like a religion right yeah. like so this idea that you would marry the two in some sort of mm -hmm. performance piece was very interesting because there is this religious element to this like denial of self and this greater purpose of the art and the art is bigger than me mm. and the show must go on this kind of thing also happens you know when you look at you know the lives of nuns right for example that's true and it's also yeah and and it you also practice dance you practice it it's mm -hmm. a practice like an instrument and 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 the nuns like when you lead, read tanta teresa jesus she practices her spirituality, her contemplations with God and her feelings. Mm. And I think also dance is also like a religion. You are in the, you're a little or not so little. Some people start later and you're in the dance class and you want to do that so hard. You practice. And it, also dancing can be, but every, I think every, probably that's why I, I decided to work on that. It's this feeling that, but you have it while writing or while thinking or talking this, um, this feeling of complete fulfillment for a moment and it's not like so fulfillment because what you are right now through singing through moving you're in this moment like wow you're connecting with some muse i don't know maybe it's god or and this interests me i know it's so big maybe when you see a show of me for like you see you can see a lot of things and maybe it's not true you know but i like thinking that this connection with 
this fulfillment mm. in times where we get fulfillment through buying I don't know or through Facebook I get it too you know or through being eternally young or that at least you have this mo that at least there is a space of fulfillment while doing while dancing <laughs> or while moving or while exchanging something with an audience <laughs> yeah so just like Audre Lorde touched on how uh, women felt denied of ecstasy, they felt denied of this kind of ecstatic um, desire, um, and, and, and really went into that. There's also a lot of feeling of queer people that feel denied of a spirituality because of such harsh like religious rejection because of okay, their sexuality. Yeah. How, how, did, how did you... Um, sort of come to terms with your spirituality yeah this is an interesting thing because yeah it's true that spirituality like the night of the but I think I found my spirituality back through uh, through accepting my queerness because accepting my queerness was a long path and very difficult <laughs> and I guess it was because I, I was raised so I think I had yeah, I'm still fighting with it. So the first thing I did when I was a teenager was rejecting church very much and rejecting my family, but still it was there. So so uh, I guess I found, I, I take, the good thing about queer is that you take it and you fake it and you can make it fake it and, and <laughs> reperform it and do it yours mm -hmm. and translate it as ever you want. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I found my, I, yeah. I make I made peace with with certain things that I liked or I felt I don't know there is this stupid story when I was a kid I was with my aunt in this procession in Easter in Spain we have processions it's horrible it looks like Ku Klux Klan like people go <laughs> with this it's horrible and they have like the statues of the Virgin Mary and I I and there were these women there are these women that are are mourning so they are wearing a veil and in black and as a kid, I said to my aunt, I want to be there. I want to go with a veil and because I thought they were very fancy and elegant. And then the Virgin Mary passed and she was dressed with a beautiful dress and all the flowers. And then I said to my aunt, no, 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 I don't want to be this morning woman. I want to be the Virgin Mary <laughs> because I wanted to, you know, I don't know. What I Anything wanted. that was beautiful. <laughs> I wanted to be on the spotlight mm -hmm. and with the long dress and the flowers. And I guess there are these images move me not the guys with the with mm. this try with this cute like but there is something about this celebration of of the um, mystic that is very ingrained in me and still moves me and i think i can also free it from what i want and make it queer because i think Santa Teresa Jesus was very queer she she had she she had she had orgasms with a fantasy, you know, and 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 also. Let's talk about her. Yeah, let's talk about her. <laughs> a lot of people don't know. About yeah, exactly. Santa Teresa Jesus um, was born in I, I don't know the exact date. It's in the beginning of the 16th century. And she lived. Uh, she lived a long life. Like she, I think she lived and she was, she was 60 something, and she was the daughter of um, converted Jew to Catholicism, but they were very Catholics, but still a Jewish family, which at that time was very 
problematic in Spain because they made convert all the Jews and Muslims that stayed. The other they kicked them out of the country, and but they were still very persecuted. But they had money. The, Jew, the people, Catholics that were converted from Judaism, usually were the merchants, mm -hmm. because the real Catholics that they were saying they had blue, uh, blue blood. They, uh, they were like um, novelty, and novel, when you were a noble man, a noble woman, you didn't need to work. Mm. So there were a lot of novel people, real old Catholics, they were really proving how old was your name, mm. that didn't have to, didn't work, and they were very poor. <laughs> they were some bad, converted Jews or converted Muslims could work, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they were still persecuted. And uh, she got a very good education and loved reading, was even in love. One, but she decided not to marry and not to have kids and to dedicate her life fully to God. Like God was calling her, like in nuns always feel nuns priests they they feel the call of God mm -hmm. to become. And then she was very sick all the time <laughs> because she thought that in sickness in this field she I, she was a sick person like person that not so strong um, with the health but. She, in this time of sickness, she, she had a lot of, she felt she could communicate with God. It was like the, in this pain, she talks a lot about this pain, that is like she's dying even in life. Mm. She can have this close experience to God and she could talk to him and wrote poems about this and uh, her biography. And she also talked uh, uh, God, Christ manifested to her, an angel, I don't remember exactly. And all her, she has to, she has to communicate to more people what she's feeling. So she started opening a lot of convents, and it was a big fight. Inquisition was was trying to to catch her, but they didn't they didn't manage mm -hmm. because she always could. She was like my magician. <laughs> they say I don't know if it's true, but she could um, she could levitate objects. Mm. And <laughs> she was, she could fly a little bit. She was a bit magic. It's, it's so funny. It's a very funny person. <laughs> it's a bit. It has a lot of humor in it too. I don't know why, but it has something very beautiful and very powerful because she did what she lived, what she thought it was right. She fought for it, and and also she in a time at this time, they, and as always, the Catholic Church was very corrupt, and she was really appealing to go back to something to have so much money about faith, not, don't care so much about, about the things, the objects, the mundane things, to think about the soul, but she was not uh, all about meditation, she was not outside the world for her, her ecstatic experiences or her conversations with God, it was, it was a way to then think and reflect our society, I mean, it's so beautiful, it's like an embodied way of being with her, with her faith and then going back and analyze the world and do something about it. That's, that's her, I think. And yeah, I don't know what to say more. <laughs> but it also seems like, like you, she was really um, inspired by this idea of ecstasy and this idea of fulfillment of desire and also yeah. this kind of like honoring the mysticism. So I can totally understand like you're being drawn to her. Yeah. What, so um, just to give some context here, because it is a podcast, so yeah. we're not uh, doing a visual recording. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I've made you a plate of food. Yes. <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> Thank you're you so much. It, you're eating slowly. Um, so my next question is about the connection between um, eating and ecstasy, right? Mm. Mm, the mystic. Mm, you know, it has a lot to do with the mouth and eating. And it has different, well, I don't know if it's, it's our theories. But when you, um, okay, what Teresa de Jesus did is, she had a, a, she did a contemplation, she meditated with God, and in these meditations, she says, comulgo con Dios, it's like a commune, commune, communion, like when you give the communion, and it's like, it's like eating it. You eat the body of Christ. You are, even in Catholicism, you take mm -hmm. it. You're eating body. Yeah, the body, the body of Christ. You're eating it, mm -hmm. and um, so the mouth has a lot to do uh, the hunger and inside. They have been. I read a text about the link of psychoanalysis and the mystic, mm -hmm. and they say in the they thought in the past that mysticism was a regression, like it was primitive. Mm -hmm. It was a regression to the. Uh, wound, what you feel were in the wounds of the mother. Mm -hmm. So you know these babies, they are in this oral phase also then later when... But it's this is also a very old-fashioned thought, mm -hmm. which I thought I would like to fight because the mystic has also... It doesn't mean a regression in... in a regression to a child. Like everything that is... that you can smell, that is intuitive, you know, you can smell, you can feel, you can touch, you can eat doesn't mean that this makes you a baby or makes a you know a culture based on mysticism if or if some decisions doesn't mean that you're regressing in time yeah it is interesting but it, it's see it's bad at the same time because of course it's saying bad that it's a regression or it's primitive or you know but on the other hand it's also good because i don't know yeah it's intuitive and it's strong and i think that yeah yeah hunger for for more it has to do i think it has to do with and then she also expresses it you know she has to it it's not enough to just feel it she writes it down mm -hmm. and it's poetry to be spoken like all her poems are like dialogues it's like uh, she's either like exclamating like oh my lord <laughs> or it's like a question and like also the oral has a lot to do with her i think so let's talk about, you know, us and Maria Teresa yeah. being these people that are trying to go to this ideal, mm. but working within the limitations of an institution. In her case, the Catholic Church. In your case, you know, the institution that is the art world, right? Mm. Um, and every any institution or structure or foundation has its limitations. Have you kind of like jumped up against those and... and and how do you deal with it? I wish it would be more courageous and jump against institutions because I, you know, it's like they are so necessary in a way because if not, you cannot do your, do your work. And I think Santa Teresa was not against the Catholic Church, but she she renovated, reformed it. To her. She managed to reform a lot, like to mm -hmm. change it. But And I think with in our case, unfortunately, if you it's really difficult because if you do I was doing everything and in a very underground setting 
and it was difficult for me to leave from my art and now that I'm in a less underground setting which is more institutionalized it supports me a lot to do my art so it's a difficult relationship but what I wish is like I don't know I wish that we can free the pieces what I'm trying now is to not to need to legitimize so much you know with words like legitimize really what I'm doing that they cannot that I don't put myself, I try not to put myself so much in a category or I try to fight that it's also okay to make a description of a piece through a poetic language. The, the concept I'm writing now, like I write in poems, I don't write in clear language. Mm -hmm. So that I'm at least allowed to express myself how I am because I think that the problem is like it's a market and, and, and a language and, and I think this is also it's making dance also very elitistic, like uh, this text, we have, a, we have a register, we use language we only for experts of dance, and then the audience don't come, and, and, but we, we are scared that if we don't use it, we, we, don't fit, we are not picked by, by the institutions, or we cannot sell the piece, and I think that this is the little things I fight, at least for myself, like how to be, how to create a freedom and I hope that I get so strong through my work that I don't care so much about the institution because at the point I'm now and still unfortunately very dependent on them and sometimes I think because they also depend on us you know mm -hmm. we couldn't do they mm -hmm. they need us they need our performances also to bring the audience but it's a yeah. thing what, what do you think of that that draws um, so there are queer festivals all around the world and queer performance groups all around the world. What do you think that draws queer people specifically towards the act of performance? I, maybe how oh, this <laughs> I I guess it has to do that with your performance. you can perform, you can be who you want to be also. And I think it's also the urgency. I think that performance has to, it's so direct, you know, it's in space and time, it's now, it works with presence. And I think queer people, it's a struggle. So the performance is the most direct way also to approach in the struggle. But I think you can also perform, yeah, the body, I think, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's to also empower the bodies, you know, that are like... It has something, the body is there, it's flesh, and, but it gives you the opportunity to, to perform the gender you want to have, or who you want to be, or a lie. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the body, you use your own body a lot in yeah. performance, and so have you at any time like struggled with your body or like how how do you come to terms with like the use of your body in this way right because you're eat in the performance as you mentioned you're, like eating your own body right people are very very close to you so you have to somehow use your body almost like a tool yeah um how do you, how does you reconcile that yeah i think i don't care so much it's not a bad thing <laughs> for me to really i'm so i don't know I think it's funny, I was telling a friend the other day that I have more issues with my body outside a show that while performing. Mm -hmm. I think when it's my tool, I, th I think I use my body to connect to people 
and to connect to thinking. I think it's my way. I've been always a very physical person since I was very little. Like I need it, mm -hmm. need to move. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way I have to express myself, like I like talking and or writing, but I think the way I feel more myself and I'm not so scared is through my body. It's funny and it's again a paradox, uh, weird because I always had the feeling I'm a bad dancer. You know, because you have to be perfect, but at the same time, while moving or while we're crafting with the body, I've, it's for me, I, I, yeah, it's very empowering. I don't care so much. And it's, it's really my, it's really <laughs> somewhat your own path. But I think also I, 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 I like it because I've never experienced like rejection, you know, mm. like, I think not everyone, but it can be not, yeah, I don't know, I'm privileged in this. Because not all the dance artists would say the same, I mm -hmm. think. But some people I know work with their bodies in a way that empower what society have punishing them. For example, I don't know if they have seen, uh, yeah, if you have been always a fat dancer, then did mm -hmm. you use your flesh to show, that, to empower it, to see mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, that is, that is weird, no? That, but it's also okay, I guess. There are people that like working with the body and communicating with it and don't care so much. What do you, what do you feel is coming next for you? Like uh, where would you want your art to take you? I would like to be a bit more courageous because I'm still sometimes inhibited and scared. As, as you know, they, they, I, I guess that with time I don't care so much that I do it and that I can pay my bills <laughs> and that I can share with people and still learn. I want to learn. It's, it's cool. I like what of my, about my profession. I like I, it's always challenging. As you see, choosing a, a cast, uh, negotiating with that or with that, it's all and creating. It's always, it's always a, a learning process. And this I like a lot that is open and you learn but I but I would like to be more courageous because I still feel I feel the fears in me sometimes you mm. know that you're going people are not going to like it or audience or the institutions are not going to like it, or or I don't know I, ha I had a friend visiting over and she said only nah, nah she said but she didn't mean it bad like Desa you don't tour right and you know these little things makes me very insecure because mm. you know when you're not like a it's an interesting moment of my career in which I am. It's really cool because I'm at the moment making the pieces I always wanted to make because I'm, I have the privilege of get being funded and I'm doing things. But still, you always feel so little and it's so weird. And sometimes, I, But it's a good moment. I think this moment is the best. I hope it carries on because, uh, because I'm not so... So visible internationally, it's still, it's, it's my my work is still not so marked, you know. It's mm -hmm. not. So I think I still have a lot of uh, freedom to fail, mm. and I also have a lot of freedom to experiment. And, and and I'm not tired of being touring all the time or things like that. But if, but so in the future, I wish that if someone makes a, oh you don't tour so much, right? That I don't care, <laughs> and I'm happy with what I have because it's a lot. And yeah, and that I am not scared to speak up. And I think that has a lot to do with my education and that's probably why I'm working now on Catholicism so that I learned to speak up because you learn to never say your opinion so much like mm. you have to 
as a woman you have to behave so I, I learned very much I was always misbehaving from the back you know lying uh -huh. like <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. like misbehaving covertly exactly. <laughs> so thank you thank you thank you so much you're welcome thank you it's been such a pleasure to have you uh -huh. I mean like I saw you and immediately I was uh -huh. like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> so it's always been that way um, but yeah, I, I, so I'm going to continue to harass you from now on out. <laughs> Thank you, please harass me. I can only see the same. I was so impressed by it. Yeah, it's nice. Okay. Thank you. Oh.